I still get a chuckle every time I watch that. So thank you to our media team. Uh, I want to welcome all of you who are on campus for the first time. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we have a number of ways in which uh, you can take the next steps on your faith. I hope you check them out and uh, avail yourself of them. If you're watching for the first time online or you watch regularly online, we're uh, glad you are with us. And just real quick, our church is focused on coaching you in the growth of your faith. We call that discipleship. Uh, our world is struggling right now to find peace in the midst of all the chaos, uh, direction in the midst of all the aimlessness, even purpose in the midst of uh, no meaning. And so we want to help you discover your faith because in the end, what you believe is what's so critically important, not what I believe or a church believes or a book believes, because what you believe is one of the most important things about yourself. Now, uh, we got the True Girl event coming up. Guys, I'm talking to you men. If you can uh, step up and uh, help load in and load out or volunteer, love for you to do that because we feel that our society as a whole is uh, trying to redefine what a woman is and devalue her in the process. And so it's such a big deal to us that next week we're going to start a new series called The Disappearing Woman. And it's about how our society is uh, kind of sending a lot of messages and a lot of things to women that are not helping them, but undermining their value. And so we want to look at what does the Bible do to talk about and teach on the value of a woman. And so you won't want to miss that. Now, we're currently wrapping up our series Fresh Start, and it fits into our year-long study of the kingdom of God. And the whole point is that when you... Uh, live in the kingdom of God. When you move from death to life, you move from the world, kingdom of the world, and you are, the Bible uses terms like saved, redeemed, born again, made into a new creation. You then live in the kingdom of God. And in the parables, we studied how it's kind of interesting that you're in the kingdom of God, but you still live in the world at the same time. So you're kind of caught in between. I call it the great in between. And the the reason that we're doing this series is because I believe that when you live in the kingdom of God, it's all about a new life. And that new life is defined by the word freedom. And the thing that hinders us from living in the kingdom of God and total freedom more than anything else is guilt. And so that's why we are doing this series. If you haven't heard all the messages, we encourage you to go back and listen to them because they kind of all come together on this day as we study Galatians chapter 5. Now, as we wrap this up, our question is simply this. Once we understand how guilt affects us, guilt is an emotional reflex to not measuring up, right? It's an emotional response whenever we feel, either for our own personal standard or an objective standard, that we've made a mistake. We have this emotional, it's a visceral response called guilt, Right? And it could be, oh, I made a mistake. That was bad. Or I didn't do what I should have done. And that's bad. Or in a broader sense, it's, well, this is what people expect. And this is where I'm at. And I'll never live up to those expectations. And that creates a sense of guilt, an re emotional reflex. And then that emotional reflex trains your way of thinking. And so then you can have either, you can have like what I call a guilt orientation. Okay. Uh, and what it does is it affects you in a really broad sense. Case in point, Melissa was raised in a two-family home, 
right? And so her parents got divorced and remarried. And so she shuttled back and forth her entire life. And then when she was ready to go off to college, she says, boy, I can't wait to go do my own thing, be in control of my life and not have to go through this anymore. So she went to college and her junior year, she met a guy uh, named uh, John. And then as seniors in college, they started living together. She graduated. She gets a job in the career path that she wanted. And then about four or five years later, she gets pregnant. At that point, they get married. And then zoom ahead to about 34, 35. She's been working. She has two kids now and she has a dilemma. And here's her dilemma is that my husband, John, treats me really well, right? He's a nice guy. Uh, I, I'm working in a career that I really, really like, and I think it's like my dream job, and I'm, I'm progressing well. Uh, I don't have any, we don't have any financial problems. Uh, I have two kids. They're both in elementary school now. She loves her kids, and she's involved in her kids. But she feels really empty about it. And this is a dilemma for her. It's like... I've met my goals, but I still feel really, really empty. And she's thinking, why is it that I get what I dreamed about, or at least I'm on the path to what I dreamed about, but I still feel like that sad little middle school girl that I wanted to leave behind? Well, here's the reason why she feels that way, okay? And I'm going to illustrate it. It's called The Gap, all right? Now, the gap is a graphic that uh, I developed and that is, it basically works like this. Everybody has an idea of where they want their life to be, okay? And it could start in middle school, it could be high school, it could be college, it could be later. We all have dreams and aspirations, we all have goals, we have things that we like about or want in our life. But we all also know that this is where my life is really now. Now, they could be externals. Boy, I wish I had the job. I wish I was married. I wish I had kids. I wish I lived here. I wish I did that. Or they could be internals, right? I wish I was more at peace. I wish I didn't have that bad habit. I wish, you know, this wasn't going on. I wish I wasn't attracted to, you know, fixer-uppers and train wrecks and, you know, things of that nature. There's things about yourself that you think, boy, I wish I was doing better. This is what it would really be like if, if things were really good, but this is where I'm at. So what you have here is called a gap. Okay? And this is you in your own estimation are not living up to your own expectations about yourself. And sometimes those expectations are based on an objective outside truth. This is called the gap. Now, what's interesting is the way you were raised depends on how you mentally view your gap. The majority of people view their gap from what I call a guilt orientation. They have a guilt attitude. And a guilt attitude is that the gap means failure. I haven't succeeded until that gap is gone. I, I won't be happy till that gap is gone. Every time I make a mistake, I have failed because I'm not living up to my own expectations. So what happens is when you have a guilt orientation towards your gap, you know what it does? Even when you get what you want, you're still unhappy. Did you catch that? It's not what's happening in your life. It's the way you've been trained to view the gap in your life. That's called a guilt orientation. Now, the other way to look at it when you move from the world's way of looking at things into the kingdom of God is 
we've studied in the first three messages, particularly, is that Christ came to set us free and redeem us from this unrighteous life into a righteous orientation. So we move from guilt to conviction. Now, conviction looks at the gap differently. Conviction is a faith orientation, and so it looks at the gap as potential growth in your life. And those two different orientations make the difference between a growing and mature faith and a weak and stagnant faith. It's called, how do I look at the gap in my life? How do I look and how do I feel when I don't measure up, when I make a mistake, when I don't follow through like I think I should? And so we're going to study that, how the Bible teaches you to look at your gap. And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, which by the way, just happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Just saying. I'm going to read this. We're going to read the first five verses, and then we're going to kind of talk about what's going on and how it applies to us today. Verse 1, chapter 5, the book of Galatians. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So the purpose of being saved, born again, redeemed, moving from death to life, right, is freedom. So he set us free from death, brought us into life, so that we would be free. Standing firm. Okay, so now there's something I must do. I need to stand firm. I impact the outcome. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So he's saying that Christ set me free for the purpose of freedom, and there is, I need to stand firm in it, otherwise I can be, fall back into slavery. Okay, well, what is the slavery he's talking about? He goes, behold, I, Paul, say to you that you must, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no value or benefit to you. So, oh, he's talking about circumcision. What is that about? It's a new secret tattoo. Um, Verse three, he says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law because you are now under obligation, what? To keep it. So he says, you've been severed from Christ you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now that sounds like really a dramatic thing to say. Verse five, for we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So what, what's going on here that he's using such strong language? Well, first of all, what he's saying is, look, is you, when you became a Christian, you realized I had a gap in my life. I was a, I was, I had sin, I had flaws, I wasn't perfect. So I asked Christ to save me or to redeem me. In that moment, Christ, okay, bestows through the power of his blood, his righteousness upon you and me. 
And when he does that, then whenever I stand in the presence of God, God does not see my flaws or my imperfections. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so that's why it says that we have been clothed with the righteousness of God. Now, I can't do that. I can't, I don't deserve it. I can't make it happen. There's no formula of stuff I can say. It is 100% an act of grace on the part of God. So it is undeserved, unmerited. He bestows it upon me. I receive it, okay? So what's happened is Paul says a group of people came behind him, he planted this church in what is modern day Turkey or Galatia. And what they did is they came, they said, well, Paul's only half right. Okay, Paul's only half right. You have to realize that Jesus was Jewish and you need to be Jewish too in order to receive the full righteousness of God. So not only do you need to be in Christ, you also need to follow the Mosaic law right? You need to become Jewish. And the biggest sign of adults, males, when they convert from a non-Jew to Judaism was circumcision, okay? So circumcision is all about a sign of, I'm getting circumcised as a man, because you have to ask yourself this honest question, why would a man, an adult male, ever get circumcised unless it had a really big meeting? right? And that meaning was, I am going to follow the Mosaic law because the righteousness of Christ is not enough. I also need to follow the law. Okay. So that's what's going on. And that's what they were teaching the Galatians. And Paul comes back and he basically says that this is a problem. Okay. Because this this conversion from non-Jew to Jew reflected in circumcision basically said is a perversion of the gospel. So that's exactly what's going on there. And that's a biblical principle. How does that apply to you and I today? Well, I would say that the reason why so many followers of Jesus are not growing in their faith and they are living with the burden of guilt is because there is a perversion of the gospel. Let me say that again. The reason why so many followers of Jesus are not growing in their faith and living with the burden of guilt is because there is a perversion, a misunderstanding in their thinking. Now, does this mean, well, I can only be a complete or full mature Christian when I understand everything perfectly? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying at the moment of salvation of what Christ does in you, do you really understand what he has done? And if you pervert that, that causes this, okay? And what is that perversion today? Well, that perversion is this, is that Christians are better off when they are weighed down by guilt. The more guilty you feel, the better Christian you'll be. And a lot of churches preach that, okay? But what that results in is a weak and immature faith not a mature and strong faith, because what you're doing is you're saying, okay, everybody has a gap. I see the gap. I need to motivate myself to grow in the Lord. And oftentimes what we mean is that I need to do better on a moral level, right? I need to do a little bit better on a moral level. And so the way I'm going to motivate myself to do better on a moral level is feel guilty about doing things I shouldn't do or I should have done. Because the guiltier I feel, then the more motivated I am. 
Isn't that how we raise kids? Right? But the problem is Paul says that's a perversion and actually it doesn't set you free. What you're doing is you're simply creating another religion in your life for yourself. Look at what he says further, okay? Let's continue on. He says, freedom is the point and if you don't get this point about what happened to you when you get saved, something happens. Look at verse six of chapter five. For in Christ... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. He says that is not the point. He says, you know what, what means something? Faith working through love. So the point here is not feeling guilty so that I get do better. The, the way I get better is faith working through love. So we have a binary kind of choice here, right? Then he goes on to say this, verse 7. You were running well. In other words, you got it and you guys were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him, meaning Christ, who calls you. It didn't come from Jesus. He, he says, basically what he's saying is that you caught the football in the flat and it was wide open and you're running for the end zone. And then the safety comes out of nowhere and causes you to fumble the ball. You lose possession and you can't score. That's what's going on here. It's football season, so we have to use a football illustration, by the way. You see, that's what he's saying. Now, look, look, he goes on and he goes, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So what is he saying? He goes, it only takes a little misunderstanding to create all these problems later on in your faith. He goes, now verse 10, now I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. So notice what he's saying is that there's not another way that you can look at this and be a follower of Christ. You can't, oh, I'm going to cobble this idea over here together of what, it, nope, you can't do that. He says, oh, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of compromise my thoughts on, on this particular thing about what Christ did to me when I, got, when I was saved by grace through faith. I'm going I'm to look at it differently than what the Bible actually is teaching on it. No, you can't do that. He's saying, you, there is no other view in Christ. This is it. You know, Jesus says something very interesting. He said, I am the way. He doesn't say, I am one of the ways. He doesn't say, I am a, a multiple ways. And he doesn't say, I am multiple things. He says, I am one thing, I am the way. That's it, okay? And so Paul is saying something very similar to that. And that is, is that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So he's saying, whoever's teaching this is gonna get toasted like an overdone bagel, okay? Verse 11, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Now, this is one place that the New International Version uh, interprets it, says it this way. It says, then the offense of the cross has been abolished. The cross is offensive. Who's it offensive to? It's offensive to anybody and everybody who says, I can do it myself. 
I can just do it myself. Anybody who gets to that point where they go, wow, I'm, I will come up with my own righteousness, right? And this is the real, this is such a tricky thing, but I just want you to dig down and think about this. So I'm going to try to say it in a way that gets you to think. And that is simply this, is that the more I feel guilty about stuff, the more I'm trying to create my own religion for God's approval. That sounds odd, doesn't it? But actually that's what's happening. Guilt, guilt is that emotional reflex and if you allow it to stay developed in your life, what you're doing is you're saying, I am doing this for no other reason than to say that I have to keep paying the price for all of my mistakes. So that's a guilt orientation, which is different than a conviction and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So Paul believes that their growth, this is what he's saying in these verses, Paul believes that their growth, their maturity, their strength of faith is being hindered by a perversion of truth, a perversion of the way they're thinking about it. And he says, if we adopt even a little bit of misunderstanding, a little bit of perversion, it undermines all of our faith when it comes to what did Christ actually do to you and to me when he saved us. Okay. So Paul wants those who've done this for their judgment to fall on them. And then look at verse 12. Would those that are, who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Did you catch that? He says, these people who are doing this, I wish they would just castrate themselves all the way. So much for the Bible being this real soft, nice, don't want to offend anybody kind of a thing, right? Boy, he is laying serious smack down. So he's saying, I, I just don't want them castrated. They're going to be burnt bagel toast, right? So I, I point that out because Paul takes this really seriously because he sees the impact on your faith and my faith when somebody comes in and kind of gets us off kilter at the point of our salvation and how we understand what Christ did in us when he saved us. So that's really important is that Paul is just saying, this is super serious and I want you to get it. Now, so what is the whole point of the teaching? He says, verses 13 through 15, listen to this. Now you were called to freedom. The whole point is freedom. It is your calling as a follower of Christ, right? He says, Brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Why were these people coming down and perverting the gospel? Why were they coming down and saying that, oh, you have to do all this stuff to get in, got to follow this new covenant and oh, plus all this extra stuff. Why were they doing that? Well, the reason why is because people who are called to do what I do, it scares them to death to preach that message. Because people who do what I do, what's one of the favorite ways that they love to motivate people? Make you feel guilty. Man, that takes a massive arrow out of the old quiver, right? And so years ago, for a long time, I just said this. I said, please, if you come to Foothills, don't feel guilty. It doesn't do you any good. Guilt doesn't do anything for you except keep you caught in this. I'm going to try to create my own way to God. And Satan loves that little trick. 
Because what are we called to? He says it very specifically. Are you called to more burden and more suffering from what you have failed to do in the past? And that way you better feel guilty and you better have all this remorse the whole time of your life. You better frown so much that you got wrinkles and crow's feet by the time you're 30, ladies. And if you don't get there, then you're not a good Christian. So what he's saying at all, what does he say? It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. You have been called to freedom. However, it's not a freedom to do whatever you want. I really appreciated what Ashley said during the worship time. What did she say? She said this. She said, she said, you know what? This whole thing about, you know, speak your truth, pursue your truth. She goes, the problem is, is my truth sometimes lies to me. My desires sometimes lie to me. So I can't trust them. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Is he's saying, look, it's not freedom to pursue your flesh. It's not pursue, freedom to pursue your desire and do whatever you want. What it is, is it is an opportunity to pursue the service of one another in love. For the whole law is filled in one word, in a statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So when guilt is our motivation to close the gap, we tend to bite and devour one another. When love, right, love for one another as we love ourselves, expressed in faith, it becomes conviction, meaning an opportunity for growth. You see, the freedom that you are called to is not a freedom to pursue your desires, but a freedom to be who you were meant to be in Christ. That top level. So now you have the freedom to pursue that in love, not follow our earthly desires. So the difference between guilt and conviction is more a, of a truth that I grasp in my head as opposed to an emotional response to failure. I, I drew up a little chart to kind of illustrate this because I wanted you to get a feel for it. Okay, this is my uh, guilt versus conviction chart. And what I'm trying to do here is say, I, to help you evaluate whether you have a guilt orientation towards your flaws and your failures and your mistakes and where you don't measure up, or do you have a conviction orientation or a faith orientation towards your flaws and your failures and the places where you don't measure up, okay? How do you know? Well, ask yourself which way you think when it comes up. Number one is this. If you have a guilt orientation, you're gonna look at that gap and say, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I mean, I've tried and tried and tried over again. I keep making the same mistake. I got this addiction that I can't kick. I can't get over that. I just, uh, I, I, I always respond to situations in this way and I'm so disappointed. I've got an anger issue. I can't control my anger. I just can't do it. That's guilt. Conviction says, I can overcome. What is the victory that has overcome the world? Everything in the kingdom of the world. Everything that holds me in the world. What is the victory that has overcome that? More guilt. And the guiltier I feel, the better I will do. That's not what he says. It's the victory that has overcome the world is my faith. The conviction that I can overcome because Christ has changed me. Number two, guilt says this. I'm not enough. No matter what I do, I will never measure up. I will, I will not have enough. But conviction says, Jesus is in me. 
You see, guilt says, I am not enough. Conviction says, you're right, I'm not enough, but it doesn't really matter because Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. Guilt says this, I cannot change. I cannot change. No matter how hard I've been in this marriage for 15 years, you think to yourself, things will never change. It's irretrievably broken. There's nothing that can happen. I can't change, he can't change, and you know we can't change anybody else no matter how much we want that. There is no change. There will never be a change. But conviction says this. Yeah, things are not good. There's a big gap here, but Jesus changes everything. You know, I don't know about you, there's been a lot of philosophers. There's been a lot of really great thinkers. There's been a lot of belief systems and orientations that have come out in the world. But it all, it all gets trumped to me is that the one thing is that every thought, every idea, every religion, every philosophy, every worldview was postulated by a person that died. They're all dead. Except one. So I don't know about you, but when it comes to power to change anything, my hat is in the ring with the guy that died and rose from the dead. Just saying. It's kind of like an ace of spades. It trumps everything, right? Guilt says this, my life has no direction. My life has no direction. People who are weighed down by guilt, they feel like, why, do I, why would I get up each day? I, I, I'm so, I can't go any further because nothing I do makes any difference. I can't change. I'm not enough. I can't do it. You know, I'm a victim of this situation and the circumstances in this world, and there's nothing I can do to change. I, what, what all that is circle, circulates around this guilt orientation in your thinking, and what happens is my life has no direction. I don't even know why I'm alive. Why am I even here? But conviction is different. Conviction says, Jesus give, has given me a purpose. This guy a while back, he came up to me and he was just really exuberant and, you know, and, and just really appreciated his energy about his faith. And it was so awesome because you know what he said? He goes, he goes, he goes man, he goes, he goes, you know, I came to faith late in life, you know, and so, man, I'm just so excited about what Christ is doing in my life. He goes, I finally feel like I have a purpose for life, and it's just, it's just overwhelming and energetic. Every day is just so new, and I was so excited. I go, that's awesome. What is your purpose? And he, without batting an eye, he goes, I have no idea, <laughs> but I know there is one. And so first I want to, oh boy, we got to figure this out. There's got to be details and handles and stuff like that. And I want to think about how to respond. And suddenly it just dawned on me is that maybe he's got the point and I don't. Maybe he has the point and I don't. Every day he gets up and he says, I have no idea what my purpose is, but Jesus has one for me. So I'm going to get up, man. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find it. And this is going to be exciting. This is going to be cool because I have no idea. In every situation and everything he comes across, he's asking this question. Oh, God, is this part of my purpose? Is this what it is? And what's happening is he is walking every moment by faith, step by step. And you know what it brings his life? It brings fun, joy, excitement. Instead of the next thing going, oh, I gotta take care of that. Oh, this, why can't anything go right? Oh, this is, you know, when I live with no direction or sense of direction that anything that's happening, boy, you just, it's just hard, isn't it? It's just hard to deal with all the stuff that piles up on you. But when you have a sense of purpose, even when you don't know what it is, you know Christ has called you to a purpose. You look at a bad situation and you go, well, you know, I don't know what God is thinking, but I trust God and maybe I'm gonna learn something in this. This is awesome. Even bad things have the potential to bless you with joy. Think about that one. 
All because I changed from a guilt orientation in my thinking to a conviction orientation. Guilt says this to us all the time. I'm on my own. Nobody really cares. Doesn't matter. I don't have anybody who really loves me or cares about me. If I didn't show up, no one would miss me. But conviction says this, Jesus is always with me. I will never forsake you or leave you. That's, that's an amazing thing, you see. The guilt always says this. It says, it's all on me. And I understand why you, people would feel this way. Because if you believe you can't do it, and you're not enough, and you're, there's never going to change in your life, you have no direction, you're all on your own, then you're going to feel like it's all on me, and I'm a failure, so why even try? But, but conviction says this. You know what? Jesus took it all. He put it all on himself. He took it all. He put it all on him. And so the burden is no longer yours, but it's been carried by him. You see, the difference between guilt thinking and conviction thinking is more than just a feeling or emotion. All of these statements are what? These are statements of biblical truth. These are all verses in the New Testament. And so convictions are statements of faith based on truth. Not your truth, not my truth, not this church's truth, the very truth of God himself as revealed in the scriptures. And that is what overcomes all of this. You see, you were called to be free. You were meant to be free and live in freedom, but we must stand firm. And what that means is I have to learn how to do that. I have to learn how to stand firm. And this is why discipleship is so important, training in righteousness, developing a sense of who you are, what you believe, why you believe it, and you know why you believe it to be true. These things are important steps. Why do we offer them? Why do we push these? Why do we encourage you to participate in them? Because we want you to live free. We want you to be free from the unrighteousness and the oppression of guilt, caught in a stage, uh, a cage of feeling you're never enough, you'll never measure up, you can't change into, I'm not a perfect person, I never will be, but each and every day I can grow in faith and I can overcome and I can step out and I can do new, I can become more because I am loving people as I love myself. And the only reason I love myself is because I'm a, you know, uh, a stellar individual, but because because Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, I'm reflecting his joy and power in my life. But you have to learn that. So at the end of the, uh, every series, we come with a blessing. And today your blessing is a visual blessing that our media team put together to illustrate this point. That the difference between guilt and conviction is learning something new. Let's watch.
I don't know what's going on in your marriage that causes you pain or suffering, a sense of lack that you don't measure up. It's insecure, not enough. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I don't know what decision you made in your past that you wish you could change. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I don't know what addiction or thing that weighs you down that you wish, boy, I wish I could have gone back and changed it all. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I don't know what regrets you have. The things that you carry with you that you wish were different, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I don't know what wounds you carry, what injustice was done against you, what uh, violence or trauma thing that happened in your life. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I don't know how you feel you don't measure up, that you're not enough, you can't do it, you'll never change. It is for freedom, freedom that Christ has set you free. And I don't know where you're going. I don't know what your future holds. But it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not, do not, do not ever, ever, ever submit yourselves to a yoke of slavery. Because you, as a child of God, have been called to freedom. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we are yours. We belong to you. We live in your kingdom. Now we will live as free. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday.